Ephesians 1 through 7 tonight, verse by verse, exposition. Um, Paul told the Ephesians to walk worthy of the Lord according to their calling in chapter 4, verse 1. That's how he began chapter 4. The second section, as you know, is divided um, in, in the fact of the walk. So the first section, you have uh, the wealth of the believer, um, by the love of God. The second that marks here from 4 to 6, 9, is the walk of the believer um, in the love of God. And this is the focus on it. Uh, one divided um, chapter 4 as uh, the unity, 1 through 16, the purity, 17 through 32, and harmony, chapter 5, verse 1, all the way to 6, 9. Um, focusing on our responsibility to live out, to walk out, because of all that God's done for us. Uh, he's enabled us to do all that. And so here in chapter um, 5, verse 1 through 7, remember all this falls under this uh, uh, last section from chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, 9, uh, the life of the new man and obedience to the word of God. So we have the walk in the believer, another believer in the love of God in contrast to sinners. Verse 1 and 2, the walk of the believer in the love of God for others. The example of walking in love, verse 1, the um, declared general appeal is therefore be imitators of God. The word therefore, as you know, is a, a concluding word as well as a transitional term. And so here it's used to progress the teaching as a transitional. Uh, some say the word um, marks the conclusion of what proceeds. But the word is more connective and transitional and used for the new admonition that he gives. You have 4.1.17, now 5.1. Then 7, 15, and 6, 14. The Greek scholar Lenski says, if verse 1 and 2 form the conclusion of 432, the new piece would begin with the word dia and would be at odds in the variance with the other three admonitions. So it's a transitional word here. Now the introduction of the new topic is to be imitators of God in love here, mark that well. The imperative command from the previous verse is repeated, broadening the command to be imitators of God. The tense is the imperative present middle, literally ever be the middle voice indicates the person's participation. This doesn't happen automatically. This is a command to each Christian who is unable to do it. Will they do it? It's up to the individual. And so the word imitators, mimites, we get our word uh, to imitate, uh, the word mimic in English. That's the word. And so the word appears seven times in the New Testament regarding Paul, other godly people, and uh, what is good. Uh, the Greeks used this word as one of three parts to train an orator, theory, imitation, and practice. And so this um, mimicking is to be of God. If, if some Christians were more zealous to mimic God rather than their pastors, they'd be okay. <laughs> it's funny that when, when there's pastor worship, the, the, the congregants are much like the pastor. What I like about this ministry, everybody's themselves. <laughs> we're not here to worship anybody. That's very, very healthy, spiritually speaking. And so the reference here is to the Father, the mimicking of God's communicable attributes imparted to believers like holiness, goodness, righteousness, mercy, kindness, and the other ones that are communicable. And so, you know, like your father begot you and you bear a lot of characteristics of your father and your mother and you're like them in many ways. As much as we complain and say, I don't want to be like mom and dad, then you grow up and you're your mom and dad, okay? Um, most of all to mimic the example of God's selfless love in Jesus by denying himself and during the pain and agony that he went through at the cross for us. God the Father gave his only begotten son to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. The invitation is given out in John 3.16. Everybody knows John 
And so notice the declared specific appeal as dear children. There's the connection. The identity of the believer here at Ephesus and for all generations is that we are a family of God. You, believe, you belong to one of two families, the family of Satan or the family of God. Uh, to be in the family of Satan, you don't have to do anything. Just be born in this world. To be in the family of God, you've got to repent of your sins and be born again. That's the conditions the Bible says. And so the word here, dear, means those beloved by God with the idea of dearness and fondness by their relationship to the Father, by the relationship to the Son, grace to you and peace from God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he opens up Ephesians 1-2. They have received, experienced, and benefited from God's love by the salvation in Christ Jesus. The word children, technon, means those by the new birth, by the proclamation of the gospel, by the conviction of the Spirit of God of their sins, and by their personal repentance of their sins. You don't just join a church. You don't just become a Christian because you decide. You are very, um, you're under great conviction by the Spirit of God as you hear the gospel. And the Holy Spirit sheds light on your lostness, your rebelliousness against God, and that he died for your sins. All of this is by the illumination of the Spirit of God. But he doesn't force us to agree with him. He gives us the information. We understand it. If the gospel is being preached, whoever is here, and you don't know the Lord, you understand. It doesn't mean you're going to automatically repent. That's a choice God gives you, a free will. So that when you stand before God in judgment, you can never say he never gave you an opportunity. Very, very important. And so, just as uh, children born to parents, um, they bear that natural sinful nature. The same now, we're born again and supernatural. We have a divine nature is given to us in Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. And um, uh, as children bear the resemblance of their family characteristics, genetic makeup and everything else, uh, so we, as the children of God, children at times look just like their parents. Sometimes they don't. They have gene factors that go back two or three generations. Um, but it's all, it's all there. And so we are to resemble our Heavenly Father. We see God in the person of Jesus Christ. In uh, Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the visible form of the invisible God. Uh, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word, John 1.1. 1, 1. He became flesh, emptied itself of his glory, not his deity, and took on the form of a servant, Philippians 2.5 down to 11. Very important. And so God the Father saves all who agree with the message of the gospel of salvation that they're sinners. They accept the invitation of John 3.16. John 3.36, he who has a son has life. He who does not have a son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. Those are the words of God, not of a pastor. But the Bible is very, very clear. And so Christ died for the sins of the world to forgive and to be saved by grace through faith, as Ephesians 2.8 and 9 tells us. He justifies it before God, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And that through the word of God and the regenerating work of the Spirit of God, we're born again. Uh, that's when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of God. You're the teacher of Israel and you don't know this? John 3, 3 through 5. Titus 3, 5, the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. Not water, but the Spirit. And so God um, saves the moral as well as the vilest of sinners, making them whiter than snow, as Psalm 51, 7 says. Cast their sins as far as east as the west, buries them in the deepest ocean, Psalm 103, 12, Micah 7, 19. Ephesians 1, 3 says, he blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those who have repented. Those who have called on his name. Desires to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, Ephesians 3.20. Those who have repented, those who believe, those who trust, those who abide in Christ Jesus. And so here in verse 2, um, the extreme of, walk, of the walking in love is given to us. He declared general, the general exhortation and walk in love. The believers were to be visible examples 
of God's love to others. The word warfare of a tail means to order one's behavior or conduct. The tense again is the present active, ongoing, continuous. The word appears eight times in the epistle. And the context is the love of God, not human love, okay? Uh, the Greek language has, um, it's rich and it has different words for love, not like the English word. We, we love our dog, we love our hamburger, and we love our wife or our husband. Hopefully there's a difference. Uh, in, in the Greek, you have, a, you know, the word eros for sexual love, and that's between husband and wife. And that's the only legitimate time to exercise that love, as we saw this morning, uh, way back to Genesis 2.24. He'll pick it up in Ephesians 5.21 for the family also. Then you also have um, the word phileo, emotional love. Uh, compatibility. We get along. We like the same things. We hit it off. Uh, we do that when we go through school and we find a friend and we just get along, you know, and everything. And it's an emotional compatibility. It's good. But somewhere along the line, we can clash. So the sexual love without God's love can be abused, manipulated, or not really appreciated. Take, I take advantage of it. The emotional love is very fickle. And as ladies, you guys are more emotional. Higher lows, higher highs, lower lows. Men are more a little stable, but we're different. Doesn't mean that there's inferior. God created us that way. And then you have the word in the Greek that is storge. Storge is family love. In Romans 1, 31, 2 Timothy 3, 3, he says in the latter days there will be no natural love. That's storge. A story, no family love. Look to what's going on with the transgender, with the transsexual, with the homosexual acceptance, with the perversion of our children in school, the pornography that's in the libraries of the school, access to the kids, all the pronouns they're forcing upon people to destroy society, to corrupt our children. Because their whole goal is to destroy the Western family. You ever read the webpage of BLM? That was their goal, to destroy the Western family. And so the attack really is against God. When you, look, when, you, when you boil it all down, it's against God. And man's always saying, like Satan in the garden, has God said, do you really believe the Bible? Do you believe the word of God? Come on. Really. And so agape love is God's love. God doesn't force it upon us, but we have the potential to manifest it. And so agape love makes the sexual love blossom. It's not abusive. It's not manipulative. It doesn't manipulate a wife or a husband through emotions and the wife in the greater manipulation. And it's one that honors the family. So agape love causes all the other three kind of loves to flourish, to blossom. If you're not manifesting and yielding to agape love, you'll live for yourself. When it's convenient, you'll do your, you'll help out a little bit. Welcome to family of sinners. <laughs> it's God's agape love, or to be known by that. And so, the declared specific exhortation is as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. So he's the highest example, right? Mimickers of God the Father, as he gave his son, now Jesus gave himself for us. So the transition is from the Father's love to the Son to give the manner of his love. The degree of love is compared to the love of Christ as Christ loved us. In the same degree, same likeness, the purity of his love was based upon his love for us. There's no favoritism at all. It was not based on physical attraction or appeal, but for sinners those that are lost, his enemies. It was not based on what Jesus could gain or benefit from us, but simply based on his immense love for fallen creation and salvation of man. And so the tense here is the indicative, active, constant, unchanging. That's his love. Stop and think how patient God is with the blasphemous world, people who curse him and damn him and teach against him and attack his word. He doesn't fly off the handle. 
He's eternal. Men are temporal. He's the ultimate authority. They think they are. So the degree is particularly for the believer, given himself for us. The indicative heiress here, active, is the historical to indicate the supreme love by Christ. Jesus said, no greater love does a man have than he laid down his life for his friend, right? He laid it down for us. For who? His enemies. Wow. The repentant sinners that is saved is by depending and trusting on the Son. No other way. So notice the method of Jesus' love is marked by what he did and giving himself for us. Giving himself in the case for us, Uper, instead as a substitute for a curse, Galatians 3, 13 says. Offering himself in our place, Matthew 20, verse 28, 1 Timothy 2, 6. Receiving the penalty of sin and death for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. I presume you qualify. I do. Receiving of the Father's wrath, becoming literal sin. So he cries out in Matthew 27, 46, quoting Psalm 21, 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One verse down said, because you are holy. Jesus became literal sin for us. Wow. The Father turned his back on the Son from all eternity for the first time. For the first time, in a way that we don't understand, the Son was separated from the Father. Amazing. And so the provision for and by which all sinners can be saved is if they believe and repent. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation. Propitiation is that which satisfies the demands and the wrath of God. And not only propitiation for our sins, the Christian but the whole world. So Jesus didn't just die for a few, the elect. He died for the whole world. And those who respond are those who believe. It's up to man to decide where he wants to spend eternity, heaven or hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell by rejecting the gospel. And so the key thing in making it all possible is the love of God mentioned 20 times in this letter. 10 times agapao, 10 times agape, two different forms. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In the time my departure is at hand, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4, 6-7. Exiting triumphantly. That was the message I preached on that. His head rolled. Wow. Remember the outline of the epistles based on and center on the love of God. The wealth of the believer by the love of God, chapter 1, 2, and 3. The walk of the believer in the love of God, chapter 4 to 6, 9, as I said earlier. And then the warfare of the believer through the love of God, chapter 6, verse 10, all the way down to 24. Three divisions. Wealth. Walk, warfare. It's by, in, and through the love of God that makes it possible. And so the distinguishing mark of the believer in the church is God's love. Um, God is the source. Listen carefully in 1 John 4, 8, and 9. It says, um, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And that's agape, all these words. And this in um, this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. By all, by this, all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. John 13, 35. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, agape love is sufficient for all things. It never fails. Now, when I've yielded to agape love, I never fail. But when I haven't yielded, I failed every time. In other words, God doesn't force me to yield to love. And only Christians can manifest agape love. Non-believer can't do that. Only born again. But it's not forced upon you. If you want to be selfish, you want to be unforgiving, you want to be bitter, you'll pay the consequence for it. God doesn't force you. God's a perfect gentleman. Absolutely. 
The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is agape. The fruit is singular. The rest are manifestations of agape love. Many people teach the seven fruits of agape love. False. Bad doctrine. And so, notice the extent of walking in love. The fact that Jesus gave himself willfully as a gift, an offering and sacrifice to God. The picture of Jesus is offering himself. The word offering there is a gift that's presented to the priest by um, the sinner um, to be offered. And the person would present that as a free will. He would bring it himself agreeing with God and offer that lamb at his own cost. And then the person would tie the animal up to the pole and then he would sl slit its own throat and that animal would hit the ground blood all over the place, and they were to look down and realize, he took my place. That really should be me. It was all prophetic of the Lamb of God to come, Jesus Christ. All the law spoke of Jesus. The red thread from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the book of Revelation. All the way. And so then the blood would be put upon the horns of the altars. The meat would be laid on the brass altar and there would be a sweet smelling aroma as we'll see as we move on um, God just loved the smell of that barbecue meat when it comes to true repentance so this is what Jesus did so the believer's love is to be a gift to others voluntarily free will because Jesus is our example right you say well that guy doesn't deserve it did you well, well you don't know him but God knows you See, we always have excuses. When we point our finger that way, there's three coming back to you. <laughs> we have to be careful. Word and deed have to become one. Now, the picture of Jesus sacrificing himself here, the word sacrifice refers to the one that's being slain again, presented as an offering, as I said. And... Um, the words offering and sacrifice emphasize death. Um, it's not a pretty picture, but it's there. Um, the animal was never coming back. Anybody who went to the cross is never coming back. That's what Jesus says. You want to follow me? Lose sight of yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. The cross is similar to death. And follow me. You die to self daily. Romans 6.6, 6, when you're born again. Romans 6.11, every day thereafter. Constantly. And so this was Jesus. So the believer's love is to be sacrificial up to God. Sufficient to meet the need. And uh, the person in need um, is because sin grieves God. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10. 12 says, speaking of Jesus Christ, our high priest. Now, notice the offering and sacrifice of Jesus was pleasing to God, as I mentioned earlier, for a sweet-smelling aroma. So here you got the pictures I gave you. You're on the altar. The priest lays it all there. God accepts them. He sees my heart. And um, uh, it's a fragrance that is pleasing to God. Um, not the meat in itself, but that the, uh, the sinner agreed with God. He acknowledged his sin, and he provided the thing that was required by the law and God sees the heart, whether it's genuine or not, okay? If it's not genuine, God doesn't accept it, okay? He knows completely. And so Paul affirmed that Jesus meant all the requirements of God to be our substitute on the cross. Um, he was conceived by the Spirit of God without sin. Uh, Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew 1, 23. He was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Uh, his cousin John the Baptist declared that in John 1, 29. And then Paul confirmed, notice that Jesus was accepted as the payment for sins. At the cross, Jesus says, it is finished, John 19, 30. What was finished? The justification of man. Nothing needs to be added, nothing needs to be done. Just believe that he, what he did, can save you and forgive you of your sin. That's what's called faith. For faith to be biblical, you must believe the revelation of God's word. It had nothing to do with emotions, nothing to do with feelings has to do with what God has revealed about himself and what he did for you through his son, Jesus Christ. The angels said to the woman, he's not here for he is risen. And he said, come 
and see the place where the Lord lay. And then this, is, this was Jesus, so the love of the believer is to be pleasing, acceptable, sweet smell and aroma to God in the very same way as we give ourselves to others. Less, uh, love must be the motive of anything we do. Um, if um, God sees my heart and um, the reward of the believer is, is going to be 1 Corinthians 4, 5, the motive of the heart. So in other words, whether it's silver, gold, or precious stone refined by fire, or it's wood, hay, or stubble, crispy critter. God knows my mind. Why do I do the things I do? And how do I do them? He doesn't care about how much I do or what I do, but why and how. That's the motive. Now, I can't see your motive, but God does. So God's the judge in that day for the believer. Very important. And so the Lord Jesus, um, of his own free will, determined to die for lost man. First uh, Peter 1.20 says, uh, before time began, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. And so here again, um, uh, God from the foundation of the world. Before the fall even took place, because God knows everything. He set the plan of redemption. Abandoning his glory, as Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, coming in the form of a, of a man. Being, uh, uh, being God, and that season continued. He was God as he came. He emptied himself of his glory, not of his deity. And he took on the form of a servant. Um, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself, John 10, 18 says, uh, Jesus raised himself from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead. The Spirit raised him from the dead. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in the raising of Jesus completely. And so notice the believer in like manner is to be like Jesus, a living sacrifice for others. For others. Many Christians and missionaries have given their lives for the gospel. Uh, we read biographies of them and we sometimes hear them taking place in other countries for the, as for the love of the Lord. You know, great, greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends, as I said earlier in John 15, 13, Jesus said. So the believer's love is to be sufficient at, at times, very sacrificial sometimes, not mere convenience or superficiality. And so our love cannot be conditioned on if I feel like it, if it's convenient. Well, you owe me some things. Those are all human emotions and factors that are very conditional and fickle on human love. And we have to guard our heart against that. And so notice verse 3 to 7. You have the walk of the unbeliever in love of herself. We dealt with it in depth this morning. We'll move through it in general commentary. In verse 3 through 4, the person... Living for perverted love is given to us, the believers, to abstain from sexual immorality, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. So the obvious distinction is by the change of subject by the word here, but he commands the believer to be a mimic of God, as he said in verse 1 and 2, to walk in God's agape love. He now communicates that sexual sin was not to be part of their Christian life. He's addressing Christians in this. If you weren't here this morning, get the message. Um, the word and in verse 2 is kai, a continuative conjunction as children of God were to walk in agape love, selfless love. The word but here in our text is also the word kai, but marks a contrast of divine love and sinful love selfish lust in order to benefit oneself. It's a contrast here. So the believer is admonished that the sin of fornication was not to be practiced. Fornication, the word porneia, it indicates sexual activity uh, of every kind, of every variety, whether it be uh, petting and fondling, over the clothes, under the clothes, even up to intercourse. That's the word. We get our word pornography from it, okay? That's the word. And um, uh, it's in the noun form 26 times and 30 more in other forms, a total of 56 times in the New Testament. The world that Paul was living in and that Jesus came to 
was a very corrupt, perverted world. We're, we're there. What the authorities of education, what this administration, what the quote-unquote called doctors and scientists and the media are doing to children as they give, allow them to run their lives against their parents' desire and corrupting and perverting them with hormone pills and that, sterilizing them, destroying them, their children. We thought Hitler was bad. Pretty crazy, ladies and gentlemen. Pretty crazy. Now, the word is usually associated with singles participating um, in sex with another single person. When a single partakes in sex with a married person, that single person commits fornication. But the married person commits adultery against her mate. Okay? They're still part of pornea, but the distinction is single or married. And um, single people, when they commit fornication, um, they, they sin against their own bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, uh, all, all sins are outside the body, but this one is against your own body. And so the believer, notice, is admonished that the sin of all uncleanness and covetousness was also not to be practiced dealing with the mind and carried out in the body. So he first dealt with the actual act with the body. Now he goes to the heart of it, the mind. Okay? The word uncleanness means immoral or impure acts that progress and degrade through lust. The idea of being foul, lewd, dirty, in thought and in deed without concern or thought of the person who you're defiling or corrupting. And on the flip side of that, you have the person that's allowing it and consenting to it. So there's two parties, okay? If one forces another, that's rape, okay? Now, I've never heard of a woman raping a man. It's always a man raping a woman, all right? That's a criminal act. And so we get so many different stories. Well, this and that. Listen, it's very clear. When you make your decision, when you go out on a date, your decision to not have sex is before you go out on a date. Not while you're on the date. And if you're a Christian, you have no business dating a non-believer. Light and darkness, you're not to be together. And if you go out believing he's a Christian and he thinks he's Mr. Octopus, then you should just go home. All right? It's simple. All right? He's carnal. I don't care if he calls himself a Christian. He's carnal. The word covetousness means a greediness, a desire to have more, an avarice. Now, again, the context here, covetousness and all this, it's not about coveting a car. This is all sexual. The context is sexual and pornea. The sexual context means unsatisfied cravings of lust for more sex and with other people. Look to our society. The average woman today has probably lived with one or two men. Probably had her first sexual experience in junior high school, if not elementary school. If she's of age 22, 25. All this started in the 60s. This is how far we've gotten left. Incredible. No big deal. Parents don't even object. They introduce, oh, this is her boyfriend. They, have, they live with us. What? So, as I said this morning, parents are turning their daughters into whores. Doesn't even bother them. That's pretty degrading. If you're a Christian, then you warn your child. You say, that's not the way we raised you. You can live that way you can live here. Simple. Real simple. You honor God. If there's repentance, there's forgiveness, reconciliation. But they can't be living that way in my home. They leave my home. They can live any way they want. I'm still going to tell you it's wrong. I'm still going to be praying for you. But you don't have my permission, my approval. Absolutely not. 
And so the word appears 10 times. If uh, we walk in the spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. We sow to the spirit, we reap everlasting life. Galatians um, uh, 5, 7 through 8. Uh, the warfare, Galatians 5, 16 through 17. And so you make sure that you walk in the spirit. Uh, both terms are often not joined together and qualified with the word all. Notice that each, every, anything um, that comes to mind at the opportunity to gratify oneself, having no shame, regret, or hesitation to participate in that sexual encounter. That's the picture today, ladies and gentlemen. It's degrading. Now, I grew up in the 60s. I, I didn't grow up in church, okay? So I was in the world. But even in the 60s, we knew what we were doing was wrong. Today, kids will look at you and say, what's your problem, old man? They're not kidding. They've been so corrupted, so degenerated. Their hearts are so callous that the only hope for them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to pray. We need to take every opportunity to minister the gospel when we can. Because that's the only hope for our nation and the world, completely. The word lewdness uh, in Ephesians 4.19, he says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness and work all uncleanness and with greediness. And the word there, lewdness, means unbridled lust. Outrageous. Shamelessness. You look at things like you take Vegas. What a dump. Sodom and Gomorrah. An overgrown high school campus. Debauched. Where was Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, out in the desert. Where's Vegas? Oh, out in the desert. Hmm. Interesting. Notice the believer is admonished to never be Accused of sexual immorality there in verse 3. The imperative command, let it not even be named among you. The imperative is the present tense, the middle voice, continuously by the individual Christian. The sin of sexual fornication is not ever to even be uh, mentioned, but be going there. It's emphatic, not being named even among you. Now, a lot of people have a bad concept and definition of Christianity because they have bad examples of people who say they're Christian. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, there's people that go on bars and they're drinking there and they share the Lord. And they say they're Christians. And guess what? God honors his word, not the carnal Christian. And he saves that drunk behind her, the Lord of that Christian that's in there. God's going to say, oh, well, you know, you did save him, so I'll, I'll let you slide this time. What are you doing in the bar? What are you doing at your girlfriend's house at 2 in the morning? Alone. Or your boyfriend's home. Make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Simple. Now, notice verse 4 the believer is to abstain from immoral language. Um, believers abstain from vulgar words, neither filthiness. Filthiness means obscenity, filthy stories involving um, imaginations and thoughts. And a, a word appears only this time. And the word indicates dirty, filthy, nasty, degrading words expressing the gift of sex by God for men and women. This is the context. We're all familiar with that kind of language if we were in the world. The believer is to abstain from words of no value, nor filthy talking. And so the phrase foolish uh, talking means silly or stupid chatter that comes like even from a drunk. Again, it's in relationship to sexual matters in our context here, appearing only this time in the New Testament. Notice the believer is to abstain from words of double um, meaning, nor coarse jesting. It means trying to be funny with very flippant, witty uh, cleverness, uh, salacious quirks, sexual innuendos, double meaning. The word derives from the word trophy, an easy turning of speech. 
The word also appears only this time in the New Testament. Notice the believers to see this type of sexual conduct as incompatible for believers, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. It doesn't line up, it doesn't line up with Christianity, which is not fitting, meaning to not come up to or arrive to. It doesn't correlate fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, filthy, uh, foolishness, filthiness, foolish talking, courts justing are just not proper, appropriate, conducive with the Christian or Christianity. That's one of the things about the emergent church. They think they have liberty to drink and to cuss and be just like the world because they have redefined the church and the Christian. Well, it doesn't matter what you say. It's what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible is a plumb line. says you're not a Christian or you're awfully backslidden. and you tell me which one it is. The imperfect tense refers to the present duty left unfulfilled. And so this kind of live conduct in words do not line up with the Christian, but rather giving of thanks. So <clears throat> that's what we should be known for, um, expressing gratitude, appreciation. What's the context? Thank you that I'm not like I used to be. Thank you that I'm no longer there in this, this sexual connotation. Thank you that I don't have that filthy mouth as before. Thank you that you've cleaned my mind up. Now I still have sin nature, so I got to bring my thoughts captive. I got to put on the armor of God. I got to put off the old man. I got to put on the new man. I got to fight the good fight and have them done all end up standing. How are we doing? Now you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest on it, right? Simple. A Christian cannot say, I couldn't help myself. You're a liar. You didn't try to help yourself. You chose to give in. Simple. The problem with fornication, sex before marriage, is that it's not just some physical thing like sharing a meal. It's very intimate, very personal. Shame, guilt, and lasting consequences for life sometimes. Um, you can get pregnant, get an STD. Um, there could be uh, a third person involved and you end up dead or whatever. Many, many things. And so from the woman's perspective, she gives away her evidence of her uh, purity. And the Bible is very clear through the Old Testament. I've done a series on sexuality. And the, every, every time a woman is, is, has sex with a man before she's married, she is humbled by the man. It's very, very clear. Okay? And so um, from the man's perspective, he's a fool because he's just bragging about his conquest, thinking he's uh, King Kong or something. Um, but he's really just a dog. Okay? It's just, it's just the way it is. That's the real sinful world. And so, I have, as I said this morning, I have never, I've met many people who have regretted um, having had sex before marriage. Um, but I've never met one who regretted waiting. Never. Now, having said all that, let's be clear that when people come to Christ, he makes them whiter than snow. So you have to be careful. You don't exalt yourself. You don't look down on anybody. Because if you were moral and ethical, and you dotted your I's and crossed your T's, and you were real good, if you hadn't repented, you would have gone to hell with all that. Keep that in mind. Okay? He died for sinners. I presume you qualify. He died for the ungodly. I presume you qualify. So do I. But we have to be real, real careful. Okay? Now, when we have sex with someone, if we're single, Paul says, you who are being joined to a heartless, in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, you're making Christ one with them. So there's a component of joining together of two bodies into one in a way different from holding hands, even kissing or hugging. We're married people, husband and wife. No one else. It's for strengthening the relationship, for getting closer, for having kids, for delighting in each other. All of that's God's design and creation. Uh, the Proverbs uh, says to drink water from your own well. Let them not be dispersed abroad. We should be um, uh, not sharing them with strangers, and we should um, delight with the wife of our youth as a loving dear and gratify 
uh, as a grateful doe, uh, let her breast satisfy you at all times and uh, always be in rapture with her love, Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. So the Bible is very graphic about the marital love. It's not perversion. It's not pornography. It's very discreet, but it's very straightforward for a husband and a wife. And so the speech of a believer is to glorify God. Uh, let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer, Ephesians 4.29. So if we're Christians, we have to speak from the word of God. Um, it's important uh, that we walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, uh, not make provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, Romans 13, 14. And so look at verse 5, the penalty for living um, by perverted love, the reminder to the believer about uh, what they already knew uh, regarding moral people or immoral people inheriting the kingdom of God. He says, for this you know, and so it's indicative, present, active, literally, uh, you are knowing. So he's reminding them of something they already knew. He's not imparting knowledge. They already knew this. You as parents do that. How many times have I told you, turn off the light? A million times. They'll learn when they get their own house and they pay the bill. <laughs> so they already knew this, okay? And yet some Christians were living this way in sexual sin. The first severe declaration is that no fornicator ever has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Wow. All inclusive. No. No one. You can tell me you accepted Christ 10 years ago. If you're living in fornication, you won't enter the kingdom of God. Doesn't make any difference. Wow. The word porneos, same root word. Um, it refers back to verse 3, all fornication. And this includes singles and certainly, of course, people who commit adultery. And so the second severe declaration in 5 there is that no unclean person ever has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so the unclean person refers back again to the, uh, the three uncleanness indicating all immoral and impure person mastered by lust, the idea is that of being foul, dirty, sexual thing. The whole context is sexual and, and pornographic and involving. Now, notice the third severe declaration is that no covetous person ever has any inheritance also in the kingdom of God. The phrase covetousness there um, refers back to verse 3 again, indicating the greedy person regarding his or her sexual desire to have more and with more people. It's a progression. Okay? Uh, it's like eating. First time you ate an in and out hamburger, you want another one. Okay? It's just the way it is. But the laws of demands and returns is very cruel. The more you have, the less you gratify. Because of the corruptness of the heart and the perversion of the mind. That's what drives the adult industry of pornography. They even have it in the public school libraries for your children, by the way. All in California. In some of their portals. Also. For years. I would check them out if I was you. So he's a slave to sex. Notice the identification of sexual and moral person who is an idolater. The idolater is that one who worships another and you give yourself up to it. So the girl thinks this guy's a hunk and she gives herself away. Because sex and idols always go together. The old religions of the Old Testament, Baal, Ashram, uh, Aphrodite, Diana, all sexual rights. All of them. And so, notice the reiteration to the believer of what they already knew about the holiness of the kingdom of God and their inheritance. For this you know. Nothing new. They already know this. He doesn't have to repeat it, but he's reminding them because it's going on in Ephesus. Paul had taught them about their inheriting the kingdom of God. Predestined by the forgiveness, the Spirit guarantees it. The Spirit turns the light on for us. But he says here we are to express gratitude, giving thanks for the Father who has qualified us and the partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1.12. 
And so that's what we're to be known by, thankfulness. Thank you that I'm not there. Thank you for delivering me from that lifestyle, Lord. Thank you for your grace. And notice Paul is not teaching two kingdoms, though he's accused of that sometimes. Uh, the kingdom here is the kingdom of God. Um, it's the establishing of the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, uh, much of kingdom theology and dominion theology teaches that, that we're going to bring in the kingdom. The church is going to bring in the kingdom, and the world's going to get better and better. Huh? I wonder what they're teaching now. The church is not the kingdom. The church will not bring in the kingdom. The church will be raptured, be married to Christ, and will return with Jesus, and he will set up the kingdom. That's what my Bible says. All right? If you're waiting for the world to get better and better, don't hold your breath. You'll never make it. And so, the Christian is to be different from the unbeliever. But he's never to cut himself off from the believer. Uh, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, he says, uh, I told you not to keep company with any immoral person or fornicator. But I didn't mean those of the world or extortioners or anything else. But those who call themselves Christians and they're doing that. There again he says, Christians are committing fornication. They're doing these other sins. So when you see a brother who's in sin, you confront him in love and ask him to repent. But if he doesn't, you don't eat meal with him. You don't fellowship with him. He said, well, that's not very loving. It's godliness. Do you love him or do you love yourself? If you're a parent and your child is living destructively, do you just let him slide? If you do, you love yourself, not your son. Simple. And so the Christian is not to judge unbelievers. Um, he gives a clear indication in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13. Uh, Paul says, but uh, now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolater, so on and so forth. And so we don't judge the world. We know they're lost. We know they need to be saved. So you pray and you wait for the opportunity. You pre preach the gospel. But you don't judge the unbeliever. They're lost. You judge the believer if he calls himself a Christian and he's doing these things, whatever it may be. You confront him in love. Look at verse 6 to 7. The potential danger of living in perverted love. The strong warning to the believer is let no one deceive you with empty words. Paul states the dear, the clear, obvious danger of believers being deceived. He's talking to Christians. This is an imperative, present, active command, not a suggestion. It's not a hypothetical situation. It's a reality that's going on there. The word deceive there means to cheat or to beguile. All the warnings in Scripture about deception are to believers. Non-believers are already deceived. They belong to Satan. In fact, Paul said about this young man that was sleeping, sleeping with a stepmother... Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. You never turn over a non-believer to Satan. They already belong to him. You turn over believers that will not repent over to Satan. You don't let them fellowship. You're hoping for repentance. You're not taking vengeance. Read your Bible. Paul stated the clever and not so obvious manner of deception, the ways by empty words. Notice that. Void of truth. Truth of the warning in the scripture. Um, the world will always uh, contradict the word of God. Oh, you know, God's love. He's not going to send you to hell. You know, he made you a sexual being. What's wrong with it? It's only natural. Yeah, right. Paul says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, phileo, sophia, the love of wisdom, empty deceit, according to traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ, Colossians 2.8. Memorize that verse. Put it on your refrigerator. Very important. Notice the simple reason for the warning to the believer. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So Paul points back to the sexual sins just prohibited to the believer. Uh, implying their capacity to do so and that they in fact are living like that some of them not all of them and so Paul points to the wrath of God being poured out um, the wrath of God means the natural anger and disposition of God against sin Romans chapter 1 verse 18 2 5 2 8 says the wrath of God is being poured out upon men now 
We just don't know when and where and to who. But he is passing judgment, even now, in many different ways and times. And the word there comes means to come from one place to another. The tense is the indicative present middle voice. The wrath of God is being poured out now, right now in the world. That's God's business, not ours. So notice in 7, the stern command to the believer. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. It gives the sound, simple conclusion for all this sexual activity by Christians. Don't do it. Therefore, conclusion, consequence of facts, what I've stated, Paul gave the only possible command that is biblical. The command is to abstain from sexual sin. Do not be partakers. There's another imperative command. Press the middle voice. Stop partaking. The individual is the only one that can stop it. Okay? Individually. The participation is with the unbeliever. With them. Stop acting like a non-believer. Stop living like an unbeliever. You're light and you're in darkness. You're being one with them. And you think God's going to bless you? People that are living together and they call themselves Christian, God doesn't hear you. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God does not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Simple. And so God, the God-ordained directive for sex is marriage. Paul deals with it in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. Each man is to have his own wife, her own husband, not to hold back from each other sexually, only for a time of consent if you're going to seek the Lord, lest Satan would tempt you. Your body, ladies, is not yours. It belongs to your husband. And husbands, your body is not yours. It belongs to your wife. By consent, according to the scriptures, that he bless you. And so the sexual activity apart from um, husband and wife makes Christ uh, one with their sins. If you're single and a Christian and you join yourself to a young lady and, or vice versa, or if a husband and wife would commit adultery, you're making Christ one with that act. Very, very clear in 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 15. And um, Paul is very, very clear. So the evidence of sexual deception is all around our society today. I've already mentioned some of them. But it's not, it's, it's not even sexual um, um, immorality like in the 60s. This is just sexual perversion. The perversion and destruction and corruption of children. The target are children. Two, three, four years old to have operations to begin hormone pills. Parents going along with it. Doctors going along with it. We, they keep telling us that we should follow the science. Our Supreme Court Justice, she can't tell you what a woman is. A woman and a man is determined by chromosomes. If you're born a male or female, you have XY or XX. Okay? Real simple. All right? And if you are one or the other, you're born with the equipment. All right? God doesn't make mistakes, but man corrupts it and perverts it. For what? Listen, listen. Self-destruction. They're doing it in two ways globally. Reducing population on every level, by every means, and destroying the children. They have deceived all last hundred years of the last century that the world was overpopulated. So now they're dealing with overpopulation. When they could have taken the mass population of all last century and they could have put it in the state of Texas with a three-bedroom house for each family. Where's the overpopulation? Even today, take an extra state, Oklahoma. The rest of the world's empty. You talk about deception. Wow. Man is bad news. The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. And only God knows the full depravity of man.
Incredible. Father, thank you for your love, your goodness. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your grace, your love. We pray, Lord, you continue to guide us and direct us. Lord, uh, prepare our hearts for the things you have. We pray that this would be a lighthouse for those who are lost and those who are seeking to learn your word. And you bring them, Lord, and that you would just do a great work in the midst of us, Lord, as we reach out to those that are so lost and deceived. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, or maybe you're over the Internet. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, and that he, in fact, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ready to make intercession for you, if you call on his name, then you can be saved right now by grace through faith. And he is able to cleanse you and forgive you and bury your sins in the deepest ocean and never mention them again. His words, not mine. If you want to be born again, this is your simple prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.